So just how far down do you want to go? Well, we could talk it out over a cup of joe And you could look deep into my eyes Like I was a supermodel What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure at this point it's no surprise to anybody, but once again, I am riding solo for the AEW recaps. In other words, I am all by myself. Not surprised to be all by myself. On the Boochcast. 
Now, before I proceed with the AEW recap, before I get into this, I am going to make something clear on this episode this week. Obviously, Gator is not here. Gator had to go to the school again to go teach the children again because due to the holiday break, the 4th of July, because apparently some people took Monday off as well as Tuesday, they had to make up for the class and Gator had to go. So I am not going to say anything about Gator not being here because, quite frankly, I am getting sick and tired of every time I express my frustration. I get a phone call from Gator the next day going, we got heat, motherfucker. It's like, no, Gator, we don't have heat. So I don't want to deal with it this week. So I'm not going to say anything bad because there is nothing bad to say. Although there was some drama behind the scenes, but I will not be talking about that here. I will save that for either a variety show or for the next time Zach or Gator shows up and would like to talk about it. If they want to talk about it, they can. If they don't, then we'll just move on and we'll all be happy again. So I am by myself, but it's okay. Gator did what he had to do. Hopefully he'll be back next week. We'll see. So obviously, as always, I'm going to kick things off. I'm going to hit a couple high spots here on Collision, which took place on July 1st. Obviously, we had uh, MJF opening the show, which um, was kind of interesting. He had a squash match against this guy, Kip Morst. Then he runs down the city of Hamilton and issues an open challenge with anybody who wants to face him. Him. All of a sudden, Ethan Page shows up. He comes to the ring. He asks for a microphone. MJF's about to tell him that he's not on the level of the devil, but before he can say anything, Page knocks the microphone out of his hand and says, we aren't doing this tonight in Hamilton. Page says he's out here to remind MJF and everybody in the back what he's capable of. Ethan Page says he's not on MJF's level because he's not a bare minimum bitch. Page says MJF isn't his champion. He spoke about everything he does for all elite wrestling and says he knows that it will be paid back in due time. Page tells MJF to be a man and do something for this company and put the title on the line against him. MJF agrees and we have a title match. And it was a very good match in the end. MJF hits the heat seeker on Ethan Page to score a pinfall and retain the title. Let me say this. Ethan Page, despite everything that people have said about him, I've had some negative things to say. Gators definitely had negative things to say. Other wrestling critics have had negative things to say. Ethan Page, this is the best I've ever seen him. Ethan Page cut a great, phenomenal babyface promo. He fired up. He talked about his father struggling through life and eventually owning multiple businesses. Ethan Page talked about busting his ass and getting to AEW and, you know, being the guy that makes all the sacrifices does all the media appearances. His wife asks him, when will this company pay him back? And he says, in due time, he wants to be the champion for AEW and literally rips into MJF. And it was phenomenal. I also love the part where he called MJF a bare minimum bitch. Now, do I think MJF is a bare minimum bitch? No, I don't. But I have been saying for a long time, a very long time, that the business, for the most part, is full of a lot of bare minimum bitches. And I believe that because anytime I have criticized anybody in the business or shat upon anyone in the business, anytime I have given my opinion on why I think a certain person doesn't deserve a title, doesn't deserve a briefcase, doesn't deserve to be in the main event, people, mostly on the internet, will come back at me and their comeback would always be, how can you hate this guy or girl? He or she is a good wrestler. And that's the only comeback they have. They're a good wrestler. I'm going to say this right now. And if anybody that's in the business or looking to get into the business is listening to this right now, I'm going to give you a harsh reality check right now. If the only thing that you can bring to the table is that you're a great wrestler, if you're only a great wrestler and nothing else, you are doing the bare minimum that is required of your job. You are a bare minimum bitch if the only thing you have going for you is that you can wrestle or you can work. Because in order to be a main event player, in order to be a world champion, in order to be taken seriously, it takes more than just knowing the moves. Because guess what? Anybody can go to a wrestling school and learn to do the moves that you do. If you don't believe me, look at Bad Bunny. Look at Bad Bunny and how he did in the matches that he's had in WWE with the uh, 
Damian Priest in Puerto Rico. The tag match he had at WrestleMania a few years back. Look at what Bad Bunny has done in a wrestling ring. Even when he had that appearance in the Royal Rumble. Bad Bunny is living proof that any asshole can go to a wrestling school and learn to do the moves. Hell, Logan Paul took, got some training and learned to do the moves. Pat McAfee was trained by the legendary Rip Rogers and learned to do the moves. The wrestling moves and the wrestling holds can easily be taught. The other stuff can't be taught. You need to have the look. Look like a wrestler. Look like an athlete. Get some muscle. Get some size on you. Look, have the body of a wrestler. The promos. The mic skills. Learn how to cut a promo. Learn how to get emotion from the crowd. Strike a chord. Don't just break the fourth wall, but evoke emotion from the crowd. If you're a babyface, get them to love you. If you're a heel, get them to hate you. That's the key to being successful in the wrestling business. If you don't have the other skills, I'll even throw in another one. Psychology, believability, reading a room, reading an audience, understanding your role in the match, and making people believe in what the fuck you're doing and what they're seeing. Let them believe that the fight they're seeing would look like a real fight. It has to look like a real fight. And I'm going to get into more of that a little later on in the show. But those are all the components that you need in order to be a main event player and be a top guy. It takes more than just being a wrestler. Because if the only thing you can bring to the table is wrestling and working, there will be a spot for you on the roster. But it's not going to be the main event. At best, you're going to be enhancement talent. You're going to be a curtain jerker. The highest you can go is a mid-card title. That's what the mid-card titles were designed for. The best workers. That's why certain people held the Intercontinental title, but never held the world title. Or some people skipped over the Intercontinental title and went straight to the world title. Or in WCW, it was the United States title. In the case of AEW, it's the TNT title. So if you're a great wrestler and a great worker, you can make money in the business but if you want to be a main event player if you want to make the big bucks if you want to be the headliner and let me tell you this if you're in the wrestling business and your goal is not to main event your goal is not to headline your goal is not to become the world champion you have no place in the wrestling business if those aren't things you are thinking about you are taking up space from someone who does want that now just because you want those things doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get them let me make that clear some people are going to be mid-card for life and that's just the way it is but everybody that gets in the business wants to be the top guy and you work hard to be the top guy but ultimately the promoters and the booking committee and the creative team they're ultimately going to decide if you go up there and the fans can also have a say because sometimes the fans love somebody so much they have no choice but to give it to them or it makes them look stupid some people choose to look stupid unfortunately but I'm not going to get into that right now but that's my overall point you got to have all the components and Ethan Page showed with this promo he has all the components and even in the match Ethan Page did phenomenal now some people might argue it's because MJF was leading him and MJF was the ring general and to an extent that is true I'll buy that but at least with the promos Ethan Page showed that he has potential to be a main event player and I never thought I would say that about Ethan Page but I have to give the credit where it's due he is showing that he has all the tools and that's what impressed me and then of course in addition to that we had the Owen Hart Cup tournament match, uh, Powerhouse Hobbs versus Dustin Rhodes. Powerhouse Hobbs had a second spine burst on Dustin Rhodes to score the pinfall victory. He will advance to the semifinals. And I'm just gonna say what the fuck are they doing with Dustin Rhodes? I really need to know. I feel like Dustin is wasting his time in AEW. I really do. This is a guy who can still go in the ring. This is a guy who left the WWE to come to AEW. Who got rid of the gold dust gimmick because he thought it was embarrassing and it made him look like a joke. He comes to AEW, gets a different outfit, different gimmick, calls himself the natural, which is what he used to be before he got to WWE. He makes all these sacrifices and tries to get taken seriously as a wrestler and as an athlete. And yet in AEW, they don't give him any opportunities. They basically just have him jobbing to all the young guys. 
And that is something in AEW that has really bothered me. Now look, I am all for taking established talent and using them to get new talent over. But when the established talent is constantly jobbing or constantly having to put young guys over and over and over and over again, eventually that top star, that established talent loses their equity. And eventually beating them doesn't mean anything. You have to let them win. You have to let them get something started, get a dominant run, put a title on them and let them run with the belt and then have someone come along and wipe them out. Then it means something. But right now it means nothing to beat Dustin Rhodes. He's been getting his ass kicked every time he's out here. The fact that Dustin Rhodes has not had a run with the AEW world title drives me fucking crazy. I mean, if all he's going to do is job to people, you might as well let him stay in WWE, become Goldust and job that way. Why come to AEW? Why walk away from Goldust if you're just going to job like you probably would be doing if you were in WWE? Go to WWE. It's goddamn ridiculous. Then we have Miro defeating Anthony Henry. I loved this moment right here. Seeing the Redeemer be able to kick ass and take names. I really hope they start getting some momentum on Miro and get him in a title picture because Miro to me is a top guy. He's another one of those guys that made the jump from WWE to AEW but got shittier treatment in AEW than he ever did in WWE. I'm sorry. WWE has treated him better. I really hope that they fix the problem they've had with him because if they keep sleeping on Miro, if they keep fucking him up, then he might as well go back to WWE and be Rusev. At least there, you'll have more name recognition because AEW is proving they don't know what to do with top guys once they get them. They ain't got a shitting clue. And then Ricky Starks manages to defeat Juice Robinson. All I can say is thank God for that because I, I've already mentioned how I feel. I can't fucking stand Juice Robinson, but Ricky Starks to me is a fucking star. He is another one of those guys that can be a main event player. I definitely think he should be replacing um, at least one of those four pillars that have no fucking business calling themselves pillars. Uh, at least well, The only pillar on there is MJF. The other three don't deserve to be called pillars because they ain't doing shit for this company. But Ricky Starks, he's a star. He's another one of those guys you can make a world champion. He has been improving dramatically. And the fact that he's had to waste his time with this jack-off, Juice Robinson, who I can't fucking stand for the life of me, is ridiculous. So at least he's advancing in the tournament, thank God. And now apparently, uh, him and Jay White are going to face FTR at some point for the tag team titles. So... Hopefully FTR retains, because I swear to God, if White and Robinson win the tag belts, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Then we had Chris Statlander defending the TBS title against Lady Frost. Chris Statlander won. I'm not fucking surprised, but I will admit the match was good. It was a good match. Decent, but... I'm just not feeling Chris Statlander as the TBS champion. And of course, Sean Spears wants to get the TNT title. He wants to face Luchasaurus. But Christian Cage apparently is the person you talk to if you want title shot or whatever. And here's the thing. I I like Sean Spears, but I really feel like he wouldn't do well as a champion. I don't see Sean Spears being believable. He's another one of those guys that's been sitting and catering most of the time. And again, this is a guy who jumped ship from WWE to AEW thinking his career would be better. And so far, it's not. Like, that's got to be the saddest thing in the world. To leave the WWE, to go to AEW, because you think you're going to get treated better, when really you're being paid just to sit at home. Which, I guess for some people, getting paid to sit at home is a good thing. You know, especially coming from a generation that's too fucking lazy to get up and go to work. But I think if you're a true professional wrestler, you want to be on TV. You want to be out there at least. Whether you're working a part-time schedule or a full-time schedule, you want to be on TV and you want to be in the fucking ring. Because getting on TV, getting in the ring, winning matches, looking good, that's how you're able to charge what you charge when you work indie shows and conventions. Because the only way to raise your rate is to raise your value, and the only way to raise your value is to be on TV, be seen, be a star, be consistent. Because then you can charge the money you want to charge instead of having to take lowball fees because nobody really knows who you are because you're not on TV. So while sitting at home and getting paid sounds like a good idea, when that contract expires, it hurts you in the long run because then you can't charge as much. And then, of course, we had Samoa Joe versus Roderick Strong. That was a stellar, great main event. Obviously, Samoa Joe won. He's advancing the next round. He will be facing CM Punk. 
in the next round, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it. Then, of course, Samoa Joe grabs a steel chair. He eventually uh, slams Roderick Strong neck first onto the chair, and he ends up getting stretchered out to end the show. And, of course, Punk and Adam Cole come out to check on him, but that wasn't what ended the match. What ended the match was the Kokia clutch, and Roderick Strong passed out, and the referee stopped the match. And here's the thing. I want to enjoy that finish, but because AEW has prostituted that finish so much over the years, it's hard to get excited over that. It's like for some reason they have this issue where they don't want wrestlers to tap out because they're trying to make everybody look strong. And here's the thing. If everybody looks strong, then nobody is strong. Somebody has to look weak for the other person to look strong. And unless Roderick is somebody you're looking to book in a main event match or a major emotional storyline, it's okay for him to tap out. Like the only time you should ever be using the pass out referee stoppage is if you're trying to build an angle with that person or if they're a champion of some sort and you're trying to make them look strong or whatever then it's different but since this is a, a tournament and Roger Strong and Samoa Joe are probably never going to face each other again for a long time, I see no reason why Roddy couldn't tap out. Roger Strong's basically second banana to Adam Cole. Roger Strong's not really going places right now. That's not to say he might not be at some point down the road, and I don't hate Roger Strong. I'm just saying not everybody has to pass out and do a referee stoppage. You got to have a few tap outs for that pass out to mean something. And now, ladies and gentlemen, after we hit those high spots, we're now going to jump into the recap of Dynamite, and we are going to kick things off with our first official match of the evening, a blind eliminator tag team tournament, Swerve in Our Glory with the Mogul Embassy, take on the team of Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. So basically, as we mentioned before, the blind eliminator tournament works like this. Random names are drawn and they draw two names. The first two names end up being a tag team in the tournament and they will face two other random people that get thrown together as a team. This is kind of like similar to how WCW used to do the Battle Bowl competition back in the day, which we'll discuss more about in a pay-per-view review coming out sometime in November. Now, the reason I said Swerve in Our Glory is because even though Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland were randomly put together because of this tournament, they did used to be a tag team called Swerve in Our Glory, and they are former AEW World Tag Team Champions. So them being together is not quite as weird, as is Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. They've also been a tag team together on a few occasions. So I don't really see this as a strange bedfellows situation. This could be a regular tag match that you booked and doesn't surprise me. Now, Darby Allen hypes up Keith Lee and tries to motivate him, which I thought was ridiculous. But overall, this match was everything you expected it to be. A glorified fucking spot fest. In fact, Keith Lee was the only person in this match that was actually believable and tried to wrestle. Like when Orange Cassidy went to put his hands in his pockets, Lee dropped him with a stiff chop to the point where Darby Allen had to blind tag himself in. They're double teaming Keith Lee, but he won't go down. Why? Because he's a fucking big man and shouldn't be. You know, then at one point, uh, Darby Allen gets trapped underneath the ring steps and Keith Lee climbs up the ring steps with Orange Cassidy and like some kind of bear hug type of thing. And Darby Allen's in pain, which that spot was okay. The only thing that really pissed me off was the code red by Darby Allen. It was where uh, Orange Cassidy's trying to do the Slumdog Millionaire, but Keith Lee keeps blocking it and blocking it, but at one point he hits it, but he holds Keith Lee down as they're struggling, and then all of a sudden, Darby Allen runs over and does the flip, somersault, powerbomb type thing on Keith Lee. And the reason this made me so goddamn angry is because I look at the size of Keith Lee, I look at the size of Orange Cassidy, and I realize how fake as fuck this move is. And this is an ongoing problem that I continue to have with modern wrestling. Wrestling, and I'm trying to figure this out for the life of me. That's why I get so goddamn angry. Why is it so difficult for wrestlers today to make their matches believable? People keep asking today, what's missing in professional wrestling? Do you want to know what's missing in professional wrestling today? Professional wrestling. There isn't any. All you're seeing is fucking gymnastics. 90% of the wrestlers today are not even wrestlers. They're gymnasts. Gymnasts aren't fighters. The thing wrestlers seem to forget is they're in the wrestling business. 
And there's over 100 years of history of wrestlers being tough and looking a certain way. And for the last 20 years, everybody's trying to change that philosophy. And it's not working. It hasn't been working. People talk about how wrestlers are more athletic and fast-paced now than they've ever been. And yet the business is more on its ass than it's ever been. You meet more people on the street that used to watch wrestling and don't anymore than people who still watch it. And here's how crazy it is. Like, people get excited when a wrestling show does one or two million viewers on a given show. During the Monday Night Wars, during the Attitude Era, you know what the ratings were for Raw and Nitro? 10 million. They would get 10 million viewers a week. Now, WWE does about 2 million. AEW does 800-something thousand. Which I guess TBS likes that. But really, in wrestling, that's fucking sad. That means in WWE, there are 8 million people who, after the Attitude Era, said this is fucking ridiculous and walked away. And AEW has only been able to get a fraction of those people to come over here and watch this show. And the reason is because there's nothing in wrestling to believe in. Because there is not a goddamn fucking thing believable about Darby Allen hitting the code red on Keith Lee. It's about as believable as Bad Bunny hitting a Canadian destroyer on Damian fucking Priest. It looks fake. Because you can tell there's blatant cooperation. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Yes, everybody knows that wrestling is a work. We all know it's scripted. But the trick is not to make it obvious to the general public. It's like when you go and you watch a movie. You know when you're watching that movie, you are watching actors in a film. We know that's a movie. We know that's just acting. No matter what horrible, deplorable thing you're seeing in that movie, whether it's a murder taking place, whether it's a rape taking place, whether it's a child being molested, someone getting cheated on, someone being tortured, whatever is happening in that movie, we know it's a movie. But what makes the movie great is that it suspends your disbelief and makes you believe in what you're seeing. You believe that group some moment is actually happening to the point where it makes you scared and it gets you to jump it gets you to cover your eyes oh my god to where you see the person being raped or molested and it makes you angry instantly you want to see that person die at the end of that fucking movie or if this guy is committing a murder you want to see him get caught and you follow the story and you believe in everything you're seeing on that movie screen and if the actors in the movie and and the people editing and filming and everyone working together to make that movie great if they can get you to believe in what you're seeing and get you emotionally invested in the beginning in the middle and the end then that movie is successful those are the movies that win awards those are the movies that people watch over and over and over again those are the movies that become classics that you talk about and review and have fun watching over and over and over again because they made you fucking believe that what was happening in that movie was really happening. You didn't have to suspend your disbelief. They made you. And that's what I want in my wrestling. Don't tell me I have to suspend my disbelief. Fuck that. Make me. Be good enough that I'm forced to believe in whatever it is you're doing. And those are the wrestlers that I enjoyed watching as a kid. And what I enjoy watching now is when you can make me believe. I believe this person is a badass. I believe this person is a hero. I believe this person is a piece of shit. I believe this guy could punch him in the face and he react that way. If I saw a real fight, that's what this fight would look like. And that's the trick. I know in real life, Darby Allen could never do that to Keith Lee unless Keith Lee wanted it to happen. And that is where most of my anger and rage comes from. The fact that all these gymnastics, all this tumbling acts, all these moonsaults and and tripper somersaults and all these splashes and all this shit jumping off of ladders and, in th and going through tables and all this shit. Most of it's not believable, especially when the person is standing there waiting for the move to happen. It makes the business look fake. 
and the pain you're feeling is not worth it. And it makes you look stupid because you think, oh, it's not fake because they're really getting hurt. No, the fact that they're really getting hurt means not only does this look fake, but they also look stupid for doing it. And that's why people like me and Gator and Zach, we get so goddamn angry when we see this because we love wrestling and we know the pain that wrestlers feel. We know how hard it is to be good at professional wrestling. We know the skill that it takes to do simulated combat and make it look real in front of an audience. It takes work. It takes skill to be able to do that. And we get angry when we hear people say wrestling's fake. But then when fake shit like this happens, it makes it hard for us to defend it. And that's what makes me angry because it makes me look stupid. Because I'm trying to explain to people that wrestling is a sport that should be taken seriously. But then stupid shit like this happens and it kills my whole argument. Because when people try to tell me that wrestling is fake and goofy and hokey and silly, they reference this as their exhibit A to beat me in the argument. And I gotta try to dig something out of thin air to try and beat that argument. And it's even more ridiculous when Orange Cassidy and Darby Allin win this match. Because the last thing Orange Cassidy needs is another fucking championship. He's already turned the international title into a fucking joke. Now I gotta worry about him embarrassing the tag titles too? Darby Allin deserves a better class of partner. Although with the way he's been wrestling lately, it seems like these two guys are made for each other. Then of course we see this uh, vignette regarding this guy, uh, Nick Wayne, who is the son of a wrestler named Buddy Wayne, who ran the Buddy Wayne Academy in Everett, Washington, which is apparently where Darby Allen trained to become a wrestler and apparently um, when his when he passed away uh, Darby Allen vowed to take care of Nick Wayne and help him out so eventually he was able to get him a contract with AEW but he claims that he didn't have Tony Khan sign him just because Darby Allen likes him but also because he's a great worker and he feels like he can bring some value to AEW and apparently they signed him at 16 so he's still been training but it looks like he might be debuting for AEW soon and apparently he's got some skills although from what I'm seeing in the ring he looks like just another spot monkey so I'm gonna be honest I'm not real excited to see Nick Wayne because I, I don't want to see any more spot monkeys in wrestling any more guys doing stupid shit diving out of the ring doing spots that look blatantly choreographed so now I don't I don't know if that's all Nick brings to the table so I'm looking forward to seeing what he does when he actually gets in a ring before I fully judge him but based on what I saw in this vignette I'm not excited next we cut to uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry who arrives and he makes it clear that he wants a shot at the FTW championship and he doesn't want to fight Hook in a parking lot or whatever. He said, let's do this in the ring like professionals and he's going to go to Tony and demand a match. But before he can do that, Hook arrives and attacks him and Jack Perry quickly gets back in the car and escapes. Now, here's the thing. Now that Jack Perry got in the car and drove away, does that mean we have to wait a week before we find out if it's going to be official whether or not Jack Perry is going to get an FTW championship match? Like, I would have preferred if he had walked into Tony Khan office like walked away then later on in the show they cut to him walking out of Tony Khan's office and saying I got the shot then Hook can attack him and Perry can escape I would have preferred that as opposed to Hook just coming out and attacking him because he said let's do it in the ring Hook is a baby face and as a baby face again these are rules you have to follow when you're doing heel and baby face this is another problem I have with modern wrestlers is a lot of them just want to be tweeners and do whatever the fuck they want. They don't understand. If you're going to be a heel or you're going to be a baby face, there's rules you have to follow. As a baby face, you're supposed to play by the rules. If the heel says, let's do this in the ring like professionals, technically that's what the baby face is supposed to fucking say. The baby face is supposed to go, alright, I'll wait. I'll get you in the ring. Let's do that. That's a baby face. The heel is the one who's supposed to not want to fight. So the fact that we're seeing role reversals here is fucking stupid. Hook should be the one trying to get Jack Perry to fight him in the ring. And even use the title as a way to entice the heel to get into the ring. Because heels want to win belts. But the reason they want to win belts is not only to solidify they're the best, but also because belts mean money. Even though technically he wants this belt just to break Hook's heart. And on that note, we cut to MJF and Adam Cole who are bonding at the gym. Cole clearly isn't into it. MJF insults one of the people at the gym and Cole tells him he can't talk like that but they both compare him to Tony Schiavone. Like, uh, MJF actually says, you know, Cole, this guy is so fat. When he takes his clothes to the dry cleaners, they said, sorry, we don't do curtains. <laughs> Which I'm not gonna lie, I've 
never heard that fat joke. So I don't know if it's a thing or not, if somebody said that before. But if that's an original from MJF, that's fucking good. Then, of course, at one point, they're doing the bench press in the gym. And MJF uh, gives Adam Cole a turn on the bench. He says, you know, this, these, these weights are really heavy. You want me to lower them down? Like, maybe put some less weight on it? And, and Adam says, no, I got it. He goes, you need me to spot you? I said, if you want. And then Adam Cole takes the bench press. And he's lifting and doing it. Doesn't need a spotter. Gets it perfect. And MJF's kind of sitting there going, what the hell? Then he puts the rack. Then he puts him back on the rack. And then he looks over at, at uh, MJF and says, all right, man. Let's go do it. Let's go do another workout. Out, and MJF goes, what the? And it cuts to him for him to go, what the fuck? Which is hilarious. Now, here's the question that I have. Now, obviously, I don't know how much Adam Cole can realistically bench. But one ongoing thing people say about Adam Cole is his size and his look. He doesn't look very muscular. He doesn't look like he can bench press fucking anything. So my question is, were those actual weights on the weight rack? And can Adam Cole legit for a shoot bench press as much or more than MJF? Or were those gimmick plates to make Adam Cole look stronger than he actually is? I honestly don't know, and I'm not trying to imply one way or the other. I'm just trying to throw out a theory that might, may or may not be true. You know, like I said, I don't know. They could be real weights, and maybe Adam Cole is stronger than he looks, but honestly, I can't tell. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We got a some six-man tag team action. The acclaimed and daddy-ass Billy Gunn versus the Blade and the Bollywood Boys. This was a what-the-fuck-am-I-watching moment. Uh, basically, daddy-ass getting the upper hand, showing he's still got it in the ring. Another another big-time legend that is being reduced to a background act, and I fucking hate it. The Bollywood Boys, they do okay. Max Caster, of course... Building a lot of momentum before the acclaimed hit Scissor Me Timbers. Then the three of them do the Scissor Me Daddy Ass thing. And in the end, Caster hits the mic drop for the win. Now, there were two things in this match that kind of bugged me. Uh, I noticed when Max Caster was doing his rap, the microphone had some technical problems. And it sounded really weird on the mic. And I think that's something the tech people need to take a look at. Because I noticed that throughout most of the show. The microphones, the volume was off. Or there was some type of weird projection with it. it it just didn't sound right the microphones didn't sound right i also feel like max caster's rap was not very good this time around i feel like his his mic skills are dropping because i feel like he's doing too much political shit and too many fourth wall breaks for his raps to be taken seriously anymore and also i noticed the acclaimed and the bollywood boys pretty much everybody but the blade is wearing pink which again i've said it before and i'll say it again i do not support male wrestlers wearing pink I think it looks dumb as fuck. Now, the acclaimed, I guess some kind of exception to the rule because Anthony Bowens is gay. So I guess if the gay man wants to wear pink, I'm fine with it. If Mass Caster wants to wear pink so they look alike, that's fine. But the Bollywood boys don't need to be wearing pink. Because if everybody's wearing the same color tights, it's hard to tell everybody apart. I'm sorry. When all of them were wearing pink, almost all of them looked alike to me. It was hard to tell who was who when the camera shots were far away. I needed close-ups to be able to see what the fuck was going on. Wear different colors for Christ's Harley Cameron interrupts the post-match celebration. She appears on the video screen. She reveals that she made a video and she will show the world what real talent is next week. Gunn grabs a microphone, says they got two words for you. Suck it. Now, I can't help but feel like there's some kind of copyright issue that can come from that. Now, obviously, you can't get mad for the crowd saying, suck it. But for Billy Gunn to instigate it by saying, we got two words for you, I don't know. I feel like WWE could come at him for that. I don't know if they will. I don't know how petty they are. But I don't think they want to hear that on AEW television. So they may look at Billy and go, dude. I know you were part of DX, but you can't do that on AEW. If you want to do that, come back to WWE. Next, we see a video package highlighting Eddie Kingston beating Kenta to win the Strong Openweight Championship at New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong Independence Day. In a promo, John Moxley discusses his history with Eddie Kingston. He wonders why Kingston is mad as they don't live in the past. Moxley says he had a dream of a version of Kingston that became what he could be. He tells Kingston to answer his phone. So basically, John Moxley is saying that he's getting sick and tired of Eddie Kingston holding grudges and living in the past. Especially when that past revolves around something from fucking Chikara. Why should I give a single fuck what happened in Chikara? Especially when it was a comedy based wrestling promotion that was never taken seriously by anyone who truly loves wrestling and it's a company that no longer fucking exists. So why the fuck 
Are we carrying a grudge from that? This is stupid. I actually am in agreement with Moxley. Let's have Eddie Kingston let this shit go. And I think Eddie Kingston is a badass wrestler and a phenomenal promo. I would love to see Eddie Kingston get his shit together. I would love to see Eddie Kingston actually get in wrestling shape. Like, I'm sorry. If Eddie Kingston wants to be a fat fuck, that's fine. But you cannot be a fat fuck and pull down your singlet straps. That doesn't work. The people who pull down the straps, it works if you got a body. Eddie Kingston doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a muscular wrestler style body. He looks like a fat fuck from off the street. And yes, I know Eddie Kingston would probably beat the fuck out of me if I said that to his face. Which is why I'm not going to say it to his face. I'm not fucking stupid. And again, I don't hate Eddie Kingston. But I do feel like he has to make some fucking changes so he can become a star and a main event player like we know he can be. The question is, will Eddie Kingston join the Blackpool Combat Club if he answers his phone? Time will tell. But I do hope at some point, Eddie Kingston finally gets taken seriously. But in order for him to get taken seriously, he has to take himself and the business seriously. Then we cut to the backstage area with Matt Hardy, who learns that he and Jeff Jarrett have been paired up together in the Blind Eliminator Tag Team Tournament. Of course, he's walking away Matt Hardy yells I hate Jeff Jarrett because at first he heard Jeff and automatically thought it was his brother but turns out it's Jeff Jarrett and the reason for that is because a this is supposed to be a strange bedfellows situation with these blind eliminator tournament this tournament only works if people are paired up that are least likely to be paired up if you got people that gel too well together, then there's no point in having a blind eliminator tournament. And it also works because Matt can't team with Jeff anyway, because right now they're doing a tour of Canada, and Jeff Hardy is not allowed in Canada because of his DUI charge, and the fact that he's still on probation for that. So he's not allowed to enter Canada. So Matt Hardy has no choice but to team with Jeff Jarrett. And I'll be honest, that's an interesting tag team I'd like to fucking see, because I love Matt Hardy and I love Jeff Jarrett. So that, to me, that's a great team even if they don't like each other. And on that note, we cut to an in-ring segment with Chris Jericho. Jericho says things haven't been going the way he has wanted them to. So it's time to make some changes. He looks back on his early days as a wrestler when he competed in Alberta. Jericho recalled how he used to feel like wrestling was everything to him, and he felt reinvigorated and resurrected. Jericho says it's time to become a better version of Chris Jericho, maybe even the best version yet. Don Callis interrupts and reminds Jericho of how he called him and pitched him the classic match with Kenny Omega at the Tokyo Dome. Callis takes credit for the idea, but Jericho responds by noting that he helped Callis come back to the wrestling world in the first place. Callis says the two of them make history when they get together. He describes how he's building a new family, which will be based on trust. Callis says he trusts Jericho and he's his best friend. He asks Jericho if he will join the Don Callis family. Jericho responds by saying he doesn't join factions, he creates them. He says, so if you're serious about me joining your faction, I have a one-word answer for you. Maybe. And I'm going to be honest right now, that is the best answer to that question I've ever heard. He didn't say yes to try and swerve everybody. He didn't say no and went with the crowd. He said maybe. Like he's going to think about it. And based on what I'm seeing here, I feel like there's going to be a face turn for Chris Jericho. I think he's been a heel long enough, and I think it's time for Jericho to be a babyface again. Because I like Jericho as a heel, but from time to time, it's good to see him as a babyface. Especially if the crowd likes him, and especially since whether he's been a heel or a babyface, they still sing his fucking theme song regardless, so I think he should do that. But it's true, Jericho doesn't join factions. He creates them. I've never seen Jericho join a faction in his entire career. I don't recall him ever being in a faction. In fact, the closest thing he ever came to being in a faction was being part of Team WWF against the Alliance. And even that wasn't really a faction. It was more like companies. So the only two factions he's really been a part of is the Inner Circle and the Jericho Appreciation Society. Outside of that, I can't remember any other factions that Chris Jericho has been in in his career. Now, I'm sure somebody can look one up and probably message me or explain it to me if they want to. But I'll be honest, I can't recall any off the top of my head. But maybe it's great because it allows this story to continue. Will Jericho be a babyface or will he stay a heel and join up with Don Callis and be part of that group? Now, the question is, does Jericho want to feud with Omega again? Is that where this is going to lead to? Because I'm sure Don Callis is looking to build this faction to face the elite. 
Because obviously the Elite is going to wrap things up on the 19th when they face the Blackpool Combat Club in Blood and Guts. Blood and Guts is going to end that rivalry because it should be the final. Which, by the way, I want to announce right now, if you haven't already, you can go on Spotify. And when you listen to the AEW recap from last week that Gator was on, it's the one that Gator was on. We have a poll set up. We got a few votes on there now where we're going to ask you guys to vote whether or not we should recap that episode. Because as you guys know, we have an elite rule in place where anything involving the elite we don't talk about, which means the main event, I'm skipping that. Just going to let you all know right now. Once I get to the main event, we're wrapping up the show because I didn't even watch the main event because it has Kenny Beta and Wheeler useless. I have no desire to watch that shit. But because the show for AEW is going to be called Blood and Guts, it's hard to recap that show without bringing up Blood and Guts. So that's why we asked you guys to either A, tell us to suspend the elite rule for one night only and recap and watch the match or we can just skip on July 19th take that day off and we won't recap the show at all so whatever side gets the most votes that's what we do if more people vote recap the show we'll recap the show if more people vote take the week off we'll take the week off now for anybody that can't seem to find that poll on Spotify I do have another poll set up on the Boochcast Twitter page if you follow us at the Boochcast you can go there and vote now the difference is the Twitter poll is only going to last about seven days. The Spotify poll lasts until the 18th of July, until Tuesday the 18th. That's when the poll closes. And on that day, I'm going to tally up those votes. And based on the votes, we will either recap Blood and Guts or take that week off. We'll see what happens. But I'm just letting you know, you can vote there. But that's what I have a feeling. I feel like this Don Callis family is going to be the next feud for the Elite. Which means, sadly, we're not going to be recapping or being a part of that. Next, we see a video package highlighting CM Punk and Samoa Joe on July 8th. Which is Collision this Saturday. And I will say, good promo by CM Punk. Good promo promo by Samoa Joe. Good way to hype up the match. But there was something in there that I noticed that I didn't know before. Apparently CM Punk has never beaten Samoa Joe in a one-on-one match. Throughout their entire rivalry, Samoa Joe has always won. That's why I got a strong feeling Punk is going to win this match. I don't see CM Punk taking any L's anytime soon as far as being pinned or submitted. The only way I see that happening is after Punk eventually wins back the AEW world title. Because he is going to become the world champion again, let's be honest. You know, with all the promos and everything that's been cut, they are clearly trying to, at some point, have CM Punk face MJF, especially when on Collision, he talked about the red bag and how it has the belt inside of it, and, you know, if you want what's in this bag, go buy a replica belt like MJF did. So it's obviously going to be Punk and MJF to determine the true AEW world champion. And I feel on that night... CM Punk will win back the world title. Next, we cut to the backstage area with Renee Paquette, who asked the trainer for an update on Roderick Strong. He says they're being cautious due to Strong's history. Adam Cole arrives, and Strong tries to give him some advice. Cole gets a text from NJF, and he leaves because it's time for his match. So, obviously, it looks like Roderick Strong is going to be off TV for a while. Or if he is on TV, he's doing segments with Adam Cole where he's trying to make sure Cole doesn't get suckered into MJF because he believes that MJF can't be trusted. Even though Adam Cole's right now, he's just focusing on trying to win a match. And now we move on to the next match of the evening, a blind eliminator tag team tournament match. We have MJF and Adam Cole versus Matt Menard and The Butcher. This was a very good match that I enjoyed immensely. This match, I can honestly say, for the most part, made my nipples hard. The only thing I had a problem with regarding this match was when MJF had Menard in the abdominal stretch and MJF extends his hand to try to get Cole to grab it to gain some extra leverage on the stretch. And he tries to get the crowd to chant, do it, do it, because Adam Cole doesn't want to help him cheat. Finally, he does do it and the crowd pops. Now, here's why I have an issue with this. Again, everything that I talk about revolves around believability. Why would you get a crowd to chant to help you cheat when a referee is in the ring? See, this is another issue that AEW has that pisses me off. And it pisses off anybody that takes wrestling seriously. AEW has a tendency to disrespect 
and bury the referees. Now, when you have somebody in a dominable stretch, the referee is looking down at the wrestler at an angle to where they can see if they're going to give up or tap out. Now, while they're looking at you, it's easy to get somebody to grab their hand and pull and pull and get the leverage because the ref can't see it. Now, obviously, if the ref looks up, eventually he will see it. So you try to let go so you don't get caught by the ref. But even if the ref catches you, he swats the hand away or he yells at you and says, hey, hey, none of that and tries to maintain order. So as a referee, you can do that without the ref seeing it. But just because the ref can't see doesn't mean the ref can't hear. A referee, like a normal human being, has fucking ears that allow him to hear what's going on. So he can hear MJF say, do it, do it. He can hear the crowd chanting, do it, do it. The fact that the referee heard all that and didn't perk up for a second looked fake as fuck. So yeah, it's a funny spot. It got the audience to laugh. But the reason it got the audience to laugh is because this is an audience that in general doesn't care if something looks fake or not. So naturally, they're going to enjoy everything because they don't take wrestling seriously. They think it's a fucking joke. And the reason the fans think it's a fucking joke is because most of the wrestlers in the ring treat it like it's a fucking joke. Because if you're not going to take the wrestling business seriously, why should they? If you want fans to take you seriously as a wrestler, you have to act like one. It's like if you want people to take you seriously as an adult, you need to act like a fucking adult. If you're a man and you want people to think that you're a good man, you have to be a good man and act like it. If you're a woman and you don't want people to think that you're a slut, you can't act like a slut. You have to act like a good woman for people to treat you like a good woman. You have to act like a good man to be treated like a good man. And you got to act like a professional wrestler if you want to be treated like a professional wrestler. Now, outside of that, this match was great. The Butcher looked great in this match. Adam Cole looked great in this match. In the end, MJF finally tags in Cole. He comes in and clears house. MJF wants to tag, but Cole hits the boom for the win. So MJF and Adam Cole win and advance in the tournament, which I knew they would, because MJF's not taking a loss anytime soon, and him and Adam Cole are entertaining as hell. MJF grabs a microphone after the match and sets Cole up for the Adam Cole baby chant. He tells Cole they would have done a better job if Cole had listened to him, but MJF pitches another bro session and Cole accepts. MJF then tells Cole happy birthday because it's Adam Cole's birthday. Confetti rains from the ceiling. The champion gets a happy birthday chant going. He brings out a cake and a balloon for Cole. MJF puts on a birthday hat and makes Cole wear one. MJF then sings the birthday song. Happy birthday to you. Then afterwards someone lights the candle on the cake and MJF gets a make a wish chant going. Cole blows out the candle. MJF tries to slam Cole's face into the cake but Cole reverses says MJF into the cake instead. Cole says it was nice of MJF to do all of that and he thanks him. And that's what I thought was funny. MJF tries to slam Cole's face in the cake but Cole reverses it. And it's funny because MJF is sitting there with cake on his face and he kind of goes, I deserve that. And he kind of wipes some icing off his forehead and takes a lick and whatever. And then Adam Cole thanks him and walks out. So it's one of those things where, you know, are they becoming the best of friends now? Could we see Adam Cole and MJF actually forming a partner and I'll be honest, I want to see it. I really do. I think, truly, they would be a great tag team. And I would love to see them become the tag team champions. I would. If there's a team out there that's going to beat FTR right now, currently, I want it to be MJF and Adam Cole. Because there's not a whole lot of tag teams in AEW that I take seriously right now. I just, I don't. The tag team division used to be the best division in AEW. Now, not so much. Don't get me wrong. FTR is the best team there. The right team is holding the tag team titles. I'm talking about the rest of the division. It looks like shit right now. It really does. So that's why I like this Blind Eliminator tournament because it's getting a few mixed match teams. Some of them look great. The others are like, why the fuck are you here? But I truly believe MJF and Adam Cole could be tag team champions. And it would be great to see them with this bromance. And then eventually, when they lose the tag belts, then they could break up and maybe have another match for the AEW world title. Like hell, you could drag this out to all in. You could take it all the way to all out and have them fight for the title and make that the match. 
You know, Wembley could be MJF defending the title against Adam Cole. Now, I'm not saying Adam Cole would go over, but it would be a hell of a great match to see. Next, we see an interview where Britt Baker previews her match with Ruby Soho. She says she will always be the face of the women's division, and this is a blah, 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 yakety, smackety, I don't need to fucking hear this shit. Backstage, Chris Jericho elaborates on his previous comments as Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara can't be under his wing forever. Renee Paquette announces the two of them will team up in the Blind Limited Tag Team Tournament. Jericho tells them to use the opportunity to show which one of them can lead so it looks like Chris Jericho is going to walk away from the Jericho Appreciation Society or he's going to disband the group and be like okay one of you is going to have to learn how to lead because either I disband this group or I leave one of you in charge and it does look kind of cool to see Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara in a tag team now. Because they're in the Jericho Appreciation Society faction again, this is not really a strange bedfellow situation, but it still looks interesting. The fact that Daniel Garcia and Sammy G are going to be in this tournament. And I think whoever gets the pinfall victory for the team will probably be one step closer to being anointed the new leader. Because it looks like Jericho's going off on his own, which I don't mind seeing. I don't think Jericho really needs to be in a faction or a group anymore. Now, of course, if he joins Don Callis' group, that's great, too, because it'll be intriguing to see. But even if he goes out on his own, he's still one of the greatest of all time. He's still a legend. He's still an icon, and he can still do great things for the company. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We have a first-round match in the women's version of the Owen Hart Tournament. Ruby Soho with the Outcasts versus Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. This was a great fucking match. Both these women brought the fight to each other and of course, the right woman won. I'm glad that Ruby Soho was able to win this match. Now granted she had help from the outcasts, but she's a heel and it was done perfectly. You know, Storm interfering, Soraya interfering, able to make things happen. Britt Baker, of course, eventually able to take both of them out. The lockjaw transitions, the submissions, everything was great. Reaching the ropes, perfect. Then, of course, Soho stacking her up, and then Storm helps to hold her down by grabbing um, Soho's hand, then Soraya grabs Storm's hand to kind of hold Britt Baker down for the one, two, three. Ruby Soho wins. She's advancing to the next round to take on Sky Blue. And... Like I said, this is Ruby Soho's time. I feel like the outcasts need to be pushed right now because Ruby Soho deserves so much better. Britt Baker was shoved down everybody's throats for a long time. And I say that because in the beginning, Britt Baker was over. But after a while, she got so fucking stale as a top heel that it became fucking unbearable. So Britt Baker has already established herself. Like she said, she's still the face of the division. So Ruby Soho needs to win more. Ruby Soho needs to push more. Ruby Soho needs to be taken fucking seriously for once in this goddamn company. That being said, phenomenal match. And since the next match is the main event, that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this recap of AEW. Because like I said, there's still an elite rule in place. So I have no desire to watch that match. But if you would like the elite rule to be suspended for one night only, make sure you go to Spotify. Check out last week's AEW recap. Just go down to the poll and vote for the answer you want. Or you can go to the Twitter page, at the Boochcast, and cast your vote. Decide right now which choice choice do you want us to make? Should we suspend the elite rule and recap blood and guts or do we skip blood and guts and take that week off? The choice I leave to you. And of course, you guys can follow the Boochcast. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Make sure you check out the latest episode of the Male Soap Opera Moments that we did last week where we gave our predictions for Money in the Bank. Find out who was right and who was wrong, and make sure you tune in sometime next week when we will be doing a recap of Money in the Bank, and that will be available on the Facebook page. Uh, sadly, Desmond has to work this Friday, so we're not going to be able to record this week, but hopefully next Friday we'll be able to record, which means in the next couple weeks, that video will be out there, but follow us on Facebook so you can check that out, as well as everything else we post there. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Pinned to the top of the Twitter page is the poll to vote for whether or not we should recap Blood and Guts on July 19th. So cast your vote. Your vote matters because whichever gets the most votes, that's what we're doing. If more people vote yes, we're recapping the show. If more people vote no, we ain't gonna fucking do it. It's up 
to you. Also, visit our YouTube channel, check out all of our YouTube content, and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Later today at 2 p.m., the final episode of Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of the 90s is going to drop. That, of course, being The Morning Show Wars is dropping. Now, of course, we have Y2K Paranoia Will Destroy You for you guys to check out. That came out last week. And, of course, the other episodes of Dark Side of the 90s, as well as all the other content that's up there, you can check all of it out. And, of course, coming soon will be Dark Side of Football, Dark Side of Comedy, and a bunch of other YouTube videos that are coming soon. Subscribe now to check all of them out. And, of course, you can also follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. So make sure you join us for the biggest party of the summer. And, of course, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special project in the works. And, of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is 99 cents, $1 per month. Our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. Same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold the Peacock, you got to know where to put that $9.99. So to that $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content than the network. And unlike Endeavor, we actually care about our fans that are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option to pay with your credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and please let be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when that's all said and done, we Use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. Eddie. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.